Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is episode 84 for Thursday, no, Wednesday, no, Tuesday, excuse me, <laughs> September 20th, 2011. Let me get my days straight here. Uh, as always, I'm Paul Fox, and joining me from his super secret location here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, everybody. Hello, Paul. How are you this week? I'm fine, but oh, let me tell you, I'm super tired. I've been super busy. It's been a heck of a week. I started my doctoral degree study program last week, and I'm already hating life, and it's only oh, the first dear. week. Oh, um, just a ton of reading. I'm already behind. I mean, we've got to do all this reading, and then we've got to do all this discussion um, on online for on an online forum, and that on top of the assignments that's coming in just a couple weeks already. It's like... Uh, did I make the right decision? I don't think so. I don't know. <laughs> well, in a couple of years, I'm going to call you uh, Dr. Fox. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Dr. Fox. That, that's, a, that's a ways off. It seems like a very long, long period from now, especially after last week. And the work that I now have facing before me, I've got deadlines tomorrow. And I was thinking, am I going to be able to do the show? Am I going to be able to you know, get, get, get the notes done? And I still have to read these chapters? And oh, it's just... All that, and of course, I've got to teach and do all that other stuff. So, you have left uh, your school life behind, and I've picked mine up again. So, what does that tell us? That that you're young and I'm old. <laughs> ah, if only that were true. Yeah. But how are you doing, sir? It's uh, it's been a week since we talked, and uh, we haven't had a chance to see any movies together. So, how's things going? Um, it's been uh, quite tiring at work. We've been finishing up the Asian Film Festival catalog at work. Um, so the press conference is next Tuesday, so we can finally reveal um, what films will be showing there. Uh, quite a big festival this year, mm -hmm. so obviously that means we had a lot of work to do. So I'm still kind of we just finished. I think we hope is the last film today. So um, it's been quite exhausting All right. uh, week for us. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to that. I don't know if I'm gonna have time to see anything, uh, but if not, I will be with you in spirit for sure. <laughs> Sounds well, great. This is the show where we talk about movies, we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood, and some other stuff in between. What films are we going to be covering this week, Kevin? This week we'll be covering uh, for e-screen, uh, Lan Kui Fong, uh, the latest film from ex-TV producer Wilson Chin, and also, who was also the director of Summer Love Love. For West Green, we'll be covering Bridesmaids. I have to kind of split that up because it's kind of a tongue twister. Yeah, so those are two films. All right. And we'll be getting to that and some news in just a moment. But I had the unique and distinct pleasure to talk with some other podcasters over the weekend. Uh, Jennifer and Ryan Ozawa, who host the Pop Spotting podcast and who have been podcasting for a number of years. Their Pop Spotting podcast show is a fairly new show. It started, uh, I want to say, back in January or February of this year. But they are old hats at podcasting. They used to do a very famous podcast 
called uh, The Transmission, which was all about Lost. And it was, you know, because of the fandom that was built around that show, they had a very big following. But they've started this new sh- this new podcast. It's It's done basically five days a week. With each day, they focus on a different topic. So, for example, they have Movie Mondays, um, and uh, they have uh, TV Tuesdays. And so they'll talk about what movie they saw over the weekend. They'll talk about an interesting TV show that they like. Um, and then they just go through the week with little topics. And their shows are very short. They're usually about uh, 15 minutes long, uh, 15 to 20 minutes sometimes, uh, depending on how long they go on with the topic. And sometimes they'll have a guest. Uh, so for on Thursdays, they bring a guest in and do some trivia with the guest and talk about that guest's favorite things. And I, that, that's sort of how we connected is uh, they asked me to come on and be a guest. And at the same time, I told them I'd like to interview them for the show here. And so I got a chance to talk with them about some of their favorite films that they saw over the summer, uh, and as well as some of their thoughts on the trend of movie watching in general, because Ryan himself, um, like myself, is a little bit of a techie, and he's sort of up on the latest technology, and he follows some of the technology trends. So we're going to throw in that interview right about here, and you'll get a chance to hear some of their thoughts on films and other stuff. All right, so I'm very happy to have joining me this week um, Ryan and Jen Ozawa from the Pop Spotting Podcast. Uh, welcome to you both. Hi. Aloha. Um, so you guys are podcasters, and you podcast from the great state of Hawaii. Yep. Yes, we do. Um, We've. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Ryan was born and raised here, and I came from the East Coast in 1993. And so you guys, uh, the basis of your show, Pop Spotting, is sort of a, a daily podcast. You guys podcast, um, is it basically every day on a different subject. One day you'll have movies, another day you might do music, you have a trivia segment, and then you have listener responses. Your podcasts tend to be a little bit shorter than uh, a typical podcast. Um, I guess that's so you can facilitate doing it on a daily basis. But what right. is it like um, having to do a daily podcast, and how does that sort of impact your lives and, and your home life and your job life? Well, we've been podcasting since 05. Uh, we started with a show about Hawaii, then uh, really did well with a show about Lost, the ABC series uh, that's still pretty popular, I got to say. I mean, even though we're, we haven't done that show in a year, it's still high up on the iTunes top podcast list, which just kind of boggles my mind. But we those are all weekly shows, and in fact, most podcasts are weekly shows. But the ones that I found myself listening to personally were really short daily shows, like something that I could, one, kind of have as part of a routine, and two, kind of get through and feel accomplished, because some of the podcasts I listened to would be like two hours long, and it would take me three days to get through them. Yeah. So. I thought, oh, I think we'd like to try a daily show, but we do record them in one or two sittings and then just sort of uh, cut them up and, and send them out on a daily basis because, as you can imagine, it is time-consuming and it's, 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 dif- it's difficult with three kids at home and a day job and all of that stuff as well. So as we do here on the show, um, East Screen, West Screen, we kind of, as a team, myself and, and Kevin Ma, we sort of, I sort of handle the technical end, and he's responsible sort of for the information and, and finding the news and, and the data and making sure I get my facts correct. Um, so how did the two of you, do you have a, a balance between, you know, who does what work-wise for planning for the show? 
Ryan does all of the production. He does all of the editing. Um, he edits everything together. And we it's kind of a collaborative effort deciding what we're going to talk about. We'll, I'll, if we're not if we don't get out to see a movie that week, I usually come up with a double feature of older films. And I, I put together a set of notes about all of the things I want to talk about, about the film. And then we decide together about what TV show we're going to discuss. And I, I, I'm the one who gets everybody together for the trivia segment. I send out the emails and and schedule. It's really a collaboration between the two of us. And we do live in uh, pretty much one uh, Google Doc. (laughs) We just keep (laughs) typing into it, and we can both be in there. I might even be at uh, my lunch break at work and and adding something that jumps into my head, and she's in there adding trivia questions. So it's kind of fun. We do kind of fit it into little pukas throughout the day, little holes of time that we have throughout the day, and hope that by the weekend we have enough notes for a week's worth of shows. Mm. So let's talk a little bit about movies. I know that on your show you usually have a segment on films that you've seen over the past weekend and and things that you've liked. Um, If I could ask each of you, what so far this year have been sort of your favorite films, either summer films or before summer, uh, and why? I liked this year, I liked X-Men First Class quite a bit, which is not, I'm not really into comic book films as a genre because, I don't know, I tend to feel really lost in comic book films because there's such a huge fandom and there's so much going on in the story that I don't know about that I feel a little bit like I don't know about it sometimes. But I think X-Men First Class was very good and I enjoyed the performances and I enjoyed everything about it and I also really liked Super 8 uh, Ryan how about you oh um uh, I, I I probably probably you know Captain America did you say Captain America oh no you said uh, I said X-Men. X-Men. Yeah, I like X-Men First Class more than Captain America. We caught a little bit of heat for our take on Captain America. Uh, I, I can't remember. Was Social Network this year? No, or year. That was last year. So I'm, I, you can see that we don't get out to see films as, as, as much as we like. Mm. Um, we just saw... Uh, Ooh, we just saw a screening of Moneyball, which is still to come out, I think, and I like that quite a bit. I mean, I'm not even a sports guy, but you take you know you take uh, Sorkin and uh, pretty good source material, you know, the Oakland A's and their crazy run in 2004, and uh, that was really fantastic um, drama there. So I would say that's pretty high up on the list already. Um, we saw. Hmm. I need to look at a list of what's come out. <laughs> <laughs> It's easy. It's easy to forget because they push so much stuff out during the summer now. Um, well, there's a lot of films that you know people talk about that we've not seen yet, like Meek's Cutoff mm-hmm. or uh, or uh, uh, what was the other one? Oh, The Tree of Life. You know, so oh, yeah. we're like, you, it's, you, it's hard to talk about the best movies of 2011 when we've not seen them yet. We heard you know great things about Bridesmaids as a comedy. Uh, I I did I do just overall think that this is a decent year so far. I I enjoyed Super Eight quite a bit, but as a as an as an Abrams fan and a Spielberg fan, I I actually thought it fell short of my expectations, which mm. was kind of sad. Um, what would you put? I mean, maybe what would you put on that list so far? And then we can tell you if we saw it and what we thought of that. For me, the big one was probably Harry Potter uh, coming to a close. Mm. Oh yeah. Um, that was that was kind of significant, I guess, because especially because. And I think we talked a little bit about this, you know, the notion that you have a generation of kids who've grown up with the films and, and with the books. And, and so it was, I think it was a nice, it gave a nice sense of closure. Um, 
But there have been some, you know, there have been some smaller gens. I, in fact, just saw Bridesmaids uh, yesterday, and we were, in, in fact, kind of disappointed. My wife was really looking forward to it, and and we'd heard so much about it, and, and a lot of mm. uh, people giving it some really positive praise, and then it kind of fell short of our expectations, maybe because it, it was being overhyped a little bit. Um, and, of course, um, earlier this year you had, uh, what was it, The Hangover 2, which got some pretty negative press over here because of the way, you know, it sort of depicts Thailand um, and things like that. But it's been a big summer for comic book movies, um, and I think that as a that my inner comic book geek, even though I don't really read Western comic books anymore, has been more than fulfilled. And I keep wondering, you know, how much longer can this you know, this, this push by Hollywood and, and, or this marriage with Hollywood and, and Marvel comics and DC comics keep going. Cause we yeah, still you know, got I, the Avengers film and, and the Superman right. film to come. And another, and another Spider-Man. Yeah. And the, the Spider-Man reboot. And, uh, um, I'm just wondering if, if we're going to end, enter a phase of, of, uh, sort of, a comic book withdrawal or comic book, uh, saturation. Saturation. Yeah. Um, yeah, you or know, comic I, I book agree. fatigue. I think we're... I think we're kind of on the the downswing already. I mean, uh, I mean, there's some some decent films this year, but I'm already starting to think like, oh, another one. Or in fact, when we're going back and redoing ones we've done before, yes. that's when I think it's time to to retire. And a film, you know, we talked about Super Eight had high expectations for it. I thought it was good, but not great. A film that we had the lowest expectations for that loved a lot would have to be Fast, Fast Five. Five. I love oh, yeah. Fast Five. It was so dumb, but it was like exactly <laughs> what I needed yeah. because I I really like car movies. Like movies that feature chases and and especially classic cars and Fast Five had a lot of that, so I really enjoyed that one. We also liked Source Code a lot. Oh, yeah, Source Code was very good. Uh, with from uh, David Bowie's son, right, Duncan Jones. Right, Duncan Jones. Yeah, yeah. Well, Moon, uh, his previous film, is one of my favorites. Yes, I in fact just watched that for the first time a couple weeks ago and just knocked my socks off. I I don't know why it it's a great took so movie. long to watch it, but that was an amazing, amazing film. Yeah, Source Code is the film that we have uh, arguments about the ending of. You yes. Know, they're, they're, it's like it's so enjoyable, and I'd just rather not think about the ending. Yes. That last, you know, 30, 40 seconds I could, like, I could live without. What did they do? <laughs> but uh, Jeff mentioned car movies. We should mention that we saw um, Drive. Drive. with Ryan Gosling last mm. night. And we're still processing it. I mean, I think I liked it. I'm really, really happy I saw it, but it's also a movie I don't think I need to see again. Mm. So I'm not sure what that means. Well, what do you think about in terms of the rest of the year, the sort of the films to come um, between now and uh, and the end of the year? Is there anything that you you both are either particularly looking forward to, or are you know have warning signs up about? <laughs> there is quite a bit. Um, we listened to film spotting, and they they were talking about their most anticipated movies. Unfortunately, I can't think of any of them right now. <laughs> well, you're 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 seeing trailers now for a film you're really excited to see that's got uh, our friend Adewale Akinwe Agbaje in it. Oh, right, and... right, right. Um, it's what is the name of that movie? Killer Elite with um, Jason Statham and Clive Owen mm. and Robert De Niro. That sounds and like it's a... going to be a big one. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. I think. Um, uh... 
Oh, well, I'll tell you right now, the number one film on my list for this year that I have to see and can't wait to see and hope the entire world embraces is The Descendants yeah. with George Clooney, um, of course, set right here in Hawaii. And not tourist Hawaii, not uh, ridiculous uh, Tiki Brady Bunch goes to Hawaii, Hawaii, but real Hawaii, the, the Hawaii we live in. And uh, the, the response to it, the trailers uh, look great, but the response to it from the film festivals is so good, I'm almost starting to, to worry about a backlash for Descendants. Mm. Um, what do you? What are your thoughts on um, the exposure of Hawaii? In you know, I, I've been, I'm I'm looking forward to this to Descendants, but I'm thinking more in terms of other popular culture, um, such as Hawaii Five O, which I think starts back up this week, or um, you know, uh, other takes on it. I know that they did. Uh, you guys talked a little bit about how it was sort of represented in the short Toy Story, um, mm, right, the, right. the clip in front of Cars Two. Or even um, some of the stuff from maybe Lilo and Stitch, the, either the movies or the TV series. Um, do you think that Hawaii gets a fair shake in popular culture? I think we still have a really long way to go. Um, it, it's, I think a lot of mainland people still don't know a whole lot about Hawaii, which is surprising considering that we are part of the United States. I think people have a lot of not negative opinions but just things that are that are wrong you know and i don't see hollywood correcting any of that necessarily i think you know some things come close that's why i'm excited about the descendants that's why i thought uh, even lilo and stitch wasn't the worst depiction of hawaii that i had seen because you know nothing was done for for in a way of mocking the character the, the the culture it was just sort of part of the the setting or the dressing or or the background i actually think that hawaii is fortunate to be so firmly embedded in the imagination of hollywood that we you know the, the you can't resist taking your tv show here on its third season before it gets canceled for the inevitable hawaii vacation episode or um you know some there's even the cartoons that our kids watch there's always one or two hawaii episodes every couple of years i think we're actually lucky for that so i don't like to to look a gift horse in the mouth and i think the more people are curious about it the more they're going to learn more about it i still think that there are some things in hawaii history that are so perfect for a great Hollywood drama like the overthrow of the Hawaiian uh, monarchy that have yet to be tapped by uh, by a really high powered film studio that I think uh, I'd like to see someday for sure. Mm. Yeah. All right. Let me just turn very briefly, um, sort of as the last uh, this area of discussion on some of your thoughts on tech and film and uh, consumption. Um, you know, a lot of people today are no no longer going to the cinema. And you have cinemas striving with new technologies, things like 3D, to try and get audience attendance up. At the same time, you've got services like Netflix, which unfortunately we still don't have over here. Oh, um, my. Yeah, but you've got Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and iTunes offering streaming and rentals and, and different services like this. Um, what do you guys see in the future? What do you think, you know... Do you think that uh, this is going to impact your lives as consumers? If so, how? Um, do you find that you prefer watching films at home now? Do you foresee a day when maybe you no longer go to the cinema because it's you know it's too expensive or it's just too convenient to stream things at home? We really don't get out to the movies that often. We do more so now because of the podcast, and we really want to talk about things that are new. But I personally would rather sit down in my own home 
and watch a movie at, at our convenience. You know, we can start it whenever it's, it's, you know, having kids makes Netflix and Amazon and iTunes very, very handy. I, I like going to the movies. I Well, first of all, I hope 3D dies eventually. I mean, I think that there is still enough that you can get from the social experience of going to a movie theater. I mean, frankly, if they would just fix the projection brightness, they would just be more consistent with the focus and, and stop trying to spare their speakers by turning it so far down that you can hear the person behind you breathing. I think that a good movie experience is still compelling. Um, uh, 3D is not part of that model in my head, but I mean, you 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 might have you you're probably in the same boat, Paul. I'm a nerd, and if I can get it online, I I want to get it online. I I can't believe imagine living without Netflix. And even though they're having trouble with their pricing, they lost a million subscribers. They're going to be having trouble with their partnership with Stars. There's still so much content that we can get right in our living room. Um, I love it. I like to I like to say that I completely skipped Blu-ray. I'm not even a real nerd about uh, crisp picture at home as long as I can watch it. So, mm. you know, blurry streaming is perfectly fine for me and I'll I'll probably never own a Blu-ray disc. I think that's I think physical media is certainly out and uh, we're starting to 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 live in the future right now. Yeah. That that's um that's sort of the the argument of uh Steve Jobs, right? He uh I I think I read that one of his reasons for not integrating Blu-ray into Apple devices is primarily because he he foresees the future being uh, streaming media as opposed to physical media, um, and I know that's been a point of contention with some Apple fans. I, I'd say my, right. myself included, because I am still ah. a bit of a collector uh, of media. But for sure, I think for me, access is a bigger is much more important. If I had the choice between uh, going out and getting a Blu-ray or getting instant access to a good quality picture online, I think I'd, I'd agree with you that I'd much rather have that ability to just have instant access when I wanted it. Right. It's hard for me to say as a, as a geek and, a, and an old-fashioned guy in the sense that, you know, I remember when people were get, really getting to MP3s in the early uh, Napster days and they were encoding at like 64 kilobits and the music sound t- terrible. And uh, we are, I, I can see that we're kind of moving, we're living right now in a world of good enough. Mm. Like we'll settle for the less than perfect sound, less than perfect picture just to have it. That, you know, that the iPod killed um, serious audio files and, and now there's only like a small handful of people who still spend uh you know five hundred dollars for the needle on their vinyl player but uh (laughs) you know i i gotta say it just it's it's just like how you use your your camera phone more than your good camera the the camera you have is the one that's the most important and the content that you can get where you are when you want it is the most important all right well i would like to have give you guys both a chance to tell our listeners where they can hear more of you or follow what you're doing or get in touch with you well, our podcast is Pop Spotting. We come out five days a week uh, so far, although we're thinking maybe we might mix it up soon before uh, before we leave too many of our listeners in the dust. So Movie Monday, TV Tuesday, Whatever Wednesday, Thursday uh, Trivia, and uh, Friday Feedback. And you can find us at popspotting.net. We're in uh, iTunes, of course, and Stitcher under Pop Spotting. But uh, Jen and I love Twitter, so you can find us personally there as well. I'm at twitter.com slash Mrs. Hawaii. And I'm twitter.com slash Hawaii. And uh, Paul, I understand you like uh, Google Plus. I do too, so you can look for me there. All right. That's excellent. Um, So I'd like to again thank both Jen and Ryan for stopping by to chat with us and share their thoughts on podcasting, on their favorite films, and some of their thoughts on tech and the future. Uh, Thanks to you both. Thank you for having us. Mahalo, Paul. That was the interview with Ryan and Jennifer Ozawa. 
of the Pop Spotting Podcast, coming to you all the way from the great state of Hawaii. And again, I thank them for taking the time to sit down and, and you know, just shoot the breeze with us here uh, on the on the podcast. And uh, we wish them well in their podcasting endeavors. And if you do get a chance, please check out Pop Spotting. All right, Kevin, I think it's time for some news. What do you say? Yep, let's go for it. All right, we've just got a couple news stories this week. Um, up first, this first bit of news um, caught my eye, coming from our favorite website, Film Biz Asia. Um, and this is coming from Patrick Frader. It says, Walt Disney is to close its local language filmmaking unit. That is the Walt Disney Studios International Production. Uh, and this has been involved in several movies in Asia. They're going to be cutting back on local film activities and concentrate instead on the international performance of its studio titles. International box office now regularly outstrips North American domestic revenues. Um, the, the thing that kind of struck me about this is that the one film that they kind of produced under this label was Disney High School Musical China. And I know we've talked about this before. And it's never come out here. And in fact, it's only just been released this month on DVD. And I didn't mm. see it in any, any local stores, uh, but I did see it on Amazon. And so it's currently being shipped to me here in Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll finally get a chance to see Disney, um, the Disney High School Musical China. And of course, I went to see if it was available for rent on iTunes first. Unfortunately, it wasn't. Um, so I, I, I figured I'd just shell out and buy it because I've been wanting to see it for a while. But one of the comments over on iTunes for this film was, worst movie ever. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm looking forward to greatness. Um, but what do you think about this? I mean, I, I was kind of hoping that Disney would do more stuff um, like this, and now they're, it seems like they're doing less. Is it, do you think that it's just, you know, because of the economically tight times we now live in that they're uh, sort of tightening their belt? Well, here's the thing. Walt Disney, um, as far as I know, in China, has only produced two films. Uh, the Magic Gourd from, I think, you remember that film? That was from 2007, I yeah, think. Yeah, that it, was uh, with uh, uh, Lao Cheng Wan, right? Yeah, Lao Cheng Wan, the Cantonese version. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure, Mandarin version. I'm not sure how that did in China, but it didn't do very well in Hong Kong. And after that, they kind of didn't make anything else for... Is that even available on, uh, on DVD? I don't think I've seen it in the shops or anywhere. That's a good question. I don't think it ever came out on video. I think they were just... Uh, I think Disney was trying to... I'm not sure if they knew what they were doing in terms of film distribution. Um, High School Musical China... High School Musical, I think, is fairly popular in Hong Kong. And what happened with the China one is that they didn't know how to play the industry politics. And essentially, it was, it was um, intentionally buried by its distributor. So, so that they knew, I think they knew that they, they had a problem working in the Chinese film industry and the politics and everything. And I mean, like, I mean, industry politics, not, not like, you know, communist party politics. So it wasn't really going to work out local production wise, especially when there's a huge, um, this year, there's a huge spirit about building up local animation instead of um, having, you know, foreign companies come in and produce anime, animated works. So Walt Disney was kind of never really meant to huge in China uh, with local productions. Um, I can understand what they're doing, but um, I think they had some problems with their strategy. Um, so I think they're better. They're better at sticking to trying to push their own American films in the China, in the Chinese market. Um, 
instead of trying to make the local local things um, for for local market. So I, I this is kind of an inevitable. Yeah, I, I, thing, I gotta I say, I'm kind of disappointed though because for as much as much grief as people, myself included, can give Disney, at least when they do produce work, that there's a there's a standard of quality that goes along with it. And one of the things that you know did attract me and make me really want to see. Um, high School Musical China is that when you look at the trailer, you can tell it's a Disney production. You know what I'm saying? It, it's it's got the look, it's got the feel. It's just everybody speaking uh, Mandarin. Yeah, I think that could put some people off in in China because um, Chinese people. I mean, when they watch a Disney work, like you said, they were looking for some kind of some kind of a look to it. Some kind of I guess in a way um, like a reverse exotic exoticness. I'm not mm. sure exotic is a word. You know, like like um, they they kind of look for that production value. They're looking for um, um, that westernized look, I mm. suppose. So I guess it, it it makes them, it kind of alienates them when this you know Chinese people are doing this. And like I said, I'm not sure if they knew how to play the market or if they knew what the market needed. Um, so it was kind of never really meant to work out, I suppose. It's just kind of strange, you know, because. I, I subscribe to the Disney Channel on the uh, now broadband network, and you know they run a lot of the normal stuff like that's so Raven and uh, Sweet Life and Zach and Cody and and those kind of shows. And again, you know, from a from the aspect of quality in terms of the writing and and stuff, they're not really doing anything new or innovative. But from the production values, that is the look and and the feel of of these programs. There's there's that level of professionalism. So I was thinking, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to start to see, see the equivalence of, of these kinds of things come out in China, which I'd probably watch and I'd probably enjoy. Um, but now it seems like we're not going to get a chance to see uh, any of that. And, uh, I got to say I'm a little disappointed. I think it's, it's that thing about, you know, having a foreign company and produce things for us instead of why can't they? There's certainly a feeling, I guess, in China about, we can do this our, on our own. We have enough yeah, money. No, we have the resource. I mean, there's that, that yeah, kind of I, I do understand that, but yeah. I kind of, I don't know. It's like um, when Tsui Hark brought all the Star Wars guys over to Hong Kong, um, you know, all the special effects people to teach, teach the stuff, you know, so that he could do the kind of films that he does. So he could, mm. you know, they could learn the techniques. I would think that you'd, you'd think there'd be some interest in sort of the Disney methodology of doing things since it is so successful internationally you'd mm. think that some people in china would say well let's learn let's learn what we can from them and then we can go off and and sort of make our own stuff i mean that's that's the model they follow when it comes to manufacturing right they they bring in the apples they bring in the uh motorola's they bring in um you know the the sony's they set up their manufacturing lines and then right next to it they set up their own manufacturing line, basically copying it. And so you get the China brand, which is basically a copy of the Sony brand, just under a different name. And maybe right. the quality control is a little bit different. Um, I, was, I, I was kind of expecting that same thing. So, Yeah, I still, I, I, I think that, um, like with the high school musical case, is that um, China, Disney didn't exactly know how to play the, the local film industry politics. Hmm. And I think that really... Or, yeah, I think that we ended up hurting them. Well, what they, they should have done is made High School Musical The Mao Years. <laughs> and then, it, you know, they would have forced everybody to go see it. And it would have been a huge blockbuster. 
and because of all the resell resold ticket revenues and and those things and uh, they'd make a lot more movies right yes disney can can work with china film group and make the uh, the third movie in the red trilogy so they can yeah. do the uh, the mao and, and, and zhang wen can sing <laughs> <laughs> and they can do it like the Lion King, you know. You have Chowlin, the baby, baby Mao getting lifted on top of the cliff. Lifted up and the sunbeam yeah, comes down yeah. to him. Like circle uh, of life. Yeah, this would be great. With the, with the red flag flying. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. All right. Um, another bit of news. What, what other news do you have for us, Kevin? Um, Netflix splits. Oh, uh, yeah, that's my news. I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, Netflix does split. Uh, this news has kind of been all over the place. If you follow, uh, you know, follow some of the streaming tech news or anything, um, you can find this news pretty much anywhere people are ranting about Netflix right now. But I pulled this particular article from uh, Wired magazine, the online version, and basically Netflix has done some stuff recently that people are kind of ticked off about. First off, they split their service to where, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, I think, to where you have to choose either the streaming or the mail-order DVDs. Uh, that made some people mad, and they, the management kind of said, we know we're going to lose uh, some customers. They've lost a lot of customers. They've also taken a big stock hit as a result. Um, and so now they've rebranded the DVD-by-mail aspect of it to call it uh, Quickster. And this is seems to have angered people even further. They released this information um, via blog post on Sunday evening. Um, the CEO, Richard Hastings, uh, said that uh, the DVD business was to be rebranded and, and the stre streaming movie service will retain the Netflix name. And I listened to some other uh, tech podcasts and they were saying this was a very tactical move because they, they know at Netflix that the mail order service is basically dead. They know it's done. They know that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be phased out. So they wanted to get it away from the Netflix brand name. And that's why they've net left Netflix as the streaming service because that's where they see the future. I can understand that move, but I can also understand the, you know, so, sort of the, some of the anger maybe that, that certain people are having because of this because now they're paying more. And now their service has rebranded itself to something that's kind of like Netflix's ugly stepbrother. And they're feeling pushed off to the side. Um, I haven't, my, my father uses, my stepfather uses Netflix, and uh, I haven't really gotten to talk to him about what he's done because he used both services, um, the streaming service and the mail order service. And I haven't asked him which he switched to, if he got both, or, or what he plans to do. The, the positive side, at least from a selfish aspect, from my own, you know, selfish use, is that I'm thinking that. Once they do, do do this, once they sort of push off the DVD mail order side of it and they'll have more funds to get more movies and maybe open up even further internationally so that we might actually get some streaming here in Hong Kong um, sooner rather than later. So I'm, 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 I'm understanding of the rage that's out there right now, uh, but I'm also a little bit uh, hopeful that I'll be able to become a Netflix customer internationally uh very very soon sorry i i i would prefer if i was still using netflix in in america i would use the net streaming as kind of like an alternative um and i would keep the dvd server because i i like dvd i know the the the, the internet streaming service is hd right i assume i believe so yes but Depending. you know sometimes yeah but sometimes 
lot of traditional customers they have a home theater, um, they have a big TV, they have to sure. rent Blu-rays, physical copies of things, and sit on the couch and enjoy their movies, which is something that, well, at least in my situation right now, I can't do because my well, my computer chair is uncomfortable as hell, <laughs> and, and um, I have a nicer setup over my my TV, mm. and if you split these off, I, I think. Many people hopped onto Netflix because they offered both services. It was when I think they, they kind of got their peak when they offered both at the same yeah. time. Maybe that's just, I'm not sure if that's true or not. Well, you know, but the but, other yeah. thing too is that Netflix, the streaming aspect of it is on so many different platforms that mm-hmm. I think that over time it's just going to get more and more ubiquitous because I mean, I could stream Netflix to my big TV if I wanted to because it's on both my Sony PlayStation. And my Xbox, you know, mm-hmm. I can I can stream it through either device, you know, mm-hmm. free of charge. I just need the account. Of course, I can't sign up for the account because I'm international. Um, but because it's because they've kind of been smart in branding it out to those devices that you will have in your entertainment centers, I think they're set for the future. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a matter of getting everybody on board, like you know, my my parents or my grandparents or. Um, those people who maybe aren't all, you know, deviced out in terms of their entertainment centers. Yeah, I think there will always be a, a, a group of customers um, that prefer like a physical copy of things. Um, I, I didn't realize that you could stream these things on your TV or home entertainment yeah. centers now. Mo- but, in yeah. fact, even some, um, there are some set-top devices, I want to say. I don't know if they have it on Blu-ray players or any DVD players, but... Like uh, I think um, uh, some some of the recording devices, uh, like like not not like TiVo, right? Yeah, like TiVo. I think I think um, I think there's some some devices like TiVo that have it integrated as well. I think I'm I'm not sure. I haven't read up on the latest, but they've made uh, Netflix especially has made a big big push to try and be on these devices, and I think also things like Apple TV and and. Uh, other devices out there and a lot of people more and more are talking about too the fact that televisions themselves in the next couple generations are going to be all computer integrated they're going to have you know wi-fi already um the the last tv i got already can you know search out some information wi-fi on on wi-fi networks that's going to become even more uh, prevalent and you'll see some of these things actually built into uh big you know, uh, entertainment center sets. Well, if I was the uh, the CEO of this new new spinoff company, I wouldn't be happy knowing that. Hey, well, I'm yeah, just the, no, that's what they said. Uh, yeah. They they were they were saying this exact thing that if you're in the Quickster division, you're like, you know, who wants to be there? Because you yeah. know you're you're kind of getting pushed to the side. You're going to be the phased out division, right? Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's kind of like a. It's kind of like a dead service walking kind of a thing. <laughs> the thing is, I if I if I'm joining the service, I won't have as many choices to get my films as possible. Yeah. So it kind of stinks for them to split them off like that and just send off what made them so successful in the first place and just kind of turning its back mm. on that service. All right. Oh, and uh, let's see. Hong Kong Dave in the chat room said the Magic Gourd was released on DVD here in the UK. Uh, hmm. And we never got it here in Hong Kong. Yeah, that's, that's, that's weird. Uh, they, Disney sent the Magic Gourd to the UK, and they sent High School Musical China to the US. And you know, Hong Kong is just left out of the loop as usual. Uh, all right, one last bit of news, uh, Kevin. Yes. Um, 
something rare happened this past week in Taiwan. Apparently, the top three films in the Taiwanese box office, uh, Taipei, because those are actually there's actually a chart for that. The top three films at Taipei box office were Taiwanese locally produced films. That's a very very rare thing here in Taiwan, out there in Taiwan, especially with the film industry kind of um, in a slow revival. Uh, so the top film, uh, as expected, was Cedric Bale, first part of Cedric Bale, the, the big epic, um, two-part epic film produced by John Woo, directed by um, the director of Cape Number 7. And at number two, uh, you have the concert film, May Day 3 DNA. Uh, May Day is huge in Taiwan, so it's no surprise that the film would open uh, fairly well. Now that's opened here in Hong Kong. Have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it, but uh, Shelly, who was uh, on the show uh, for Beginning Great Revival episode, she's seen it. She's a huge May Day fan, and she said it's pretty much made for only May Day fans. Well, is um, it, I mean, we were talking about this before. I'm not really clear. Is it like a, um, you know, the Beatles' Hard Day's Night, or is it, you know, is it just a concert? They, the article seems to say that there are some narrative aspects and that the actors, uh, actress Renee Liu and Richie Wren are both, uh, they both have roles in it, I guess. As far as I know, there's three short films or three short stories. Uh, and in between the three short stories are the concert footage from different concerts in their, in their Asia, China, Taiwan, and Hong Kong tour. So it's not like um, it's so not they like don't, the, the yeah. Kiss movie where Kiss were all superheroes when they weren't on stage. No, I think I think Lam Stewart is actually the hero in this movie, the superhero. Uh, yeah, um, that so so uh, apparently according to Shelley, the film is strictly pretty much strictly for May Day fans. Uh, but like I said, May Day is huge. It didn't do so well in Hong Kong, one point two million uh, with free greedy ticket ticket prices. So that's not very good. Uh, but apparently, it did very well in Taiwan because uh, of the band's appeal, and of course, um, you have movie stars like Renee Liu and Richie Ren, which I, I assume. Were, were included to to attract non-fans. Um, the film opens this coming weekend in China, and again, there's a lot of chi- a lot of mainland Chinese actually fans at May Day uh, of May Day. Uh, if you go to the Hong Kong concerts, I've been told that uh, a large group of its audience are from the mainland, mainland students, and things like that. So the film will do fairly well around around Chinese speaking areas. In third place is the um, teen teen uh, Yun. Uh, High school drama, uh, romance drama, You're the Apple of My Eye, which has now beaten manga uh, as the second highest local gro- uh, highest grossing local film uh, in recent decades, uh, just under, just behind uh, Cape Number 7. So this really, this movie is really huge. And um, it seems like Taiwanese films is becoming big again. It's, it's quite, this is quite a big, big deal uh, for Taiwanese cinema. Mm. We have we have a fr- common friend who's a big fan of uh, Renee Liu. Do you think uh, it's enough? Her presence is enough to draw him to watch the movie? No, I I think he know he doesn't exactly dig the music. I don't think he'll go mm. see the film, especially if it's three D. Um, yeah, local, locally, Cedric Bell is uh, Cedric Bell Two is going to open at the end of the month in Taiwan, so expect that film to do well. So uh, I think. Taiwanese films will continue to do well through uh, October. So that's really, really great news. For so are we going to be getting the Cedric Bale films fairly soon? Yes, we'll get both parts. Uh, the, the full Taiwanese version, we'll get it. We'll get part one in November and part two in December. Hey. Hey. 
So we've got one e-screen film this week, and that is the latest from director Wilson Chin called Lan Kwai Fong, named after the very famous bar district um, right up there in Central on Hong Kong Island. So Kevin, what can you tell us about Lan Kwai Fong? I know it's a place that you frequent quite regularly. Oh, yeah, I was just there. I just got drunk there like a minute ago. Yeah. <laughs> I'm family Lan Kwai Fong right now, yes. No, um, Lan Kwai Fong is, uh, well, the latest film from director Wilson Chin. Um, it's produced by M. Kin Hong, who has been working on quite a few um, low-budget uh, local productions, including Girls and uh, what else before that? He did another film before that. I'm stuck. Okay, well, okay. So that's um, so. Um, Kin Hong is kind of starting a niche of these uh, smaller local films that are uh, kind of verged verge on the extreme uh, category three girls is category three but here he pulls back a little bit um, for 2B film uh, targeted for a young audience uh, it takes place of course on the street Lan Kui Fong uh, it's a place known for uh, having a lot of bars um, it's kind of the nightclub district of Hong Kong so to speak uh, so of course you'll be seeing a film about kids going to nightclubs um, it centers on one single nightclub um, I think it's shot at the Beijing Club, or the exterior suggests that it's the Beijing Club, which is the biggest club, I guess the most popular club in Lan Kui Fong. Um, the film stars Zhou, uh, also known as Chen Ji-ming, uh, a Taiwanese model who, who, has, who is actually quite popular in Hong Kong because of his uh, ads for, um, for a pharmacy chain here in Hong Kong. He plays um, a promoter for, uh, for an alcoholic brand. Uh, they didn't say which one, who, who frequents the clubs uh, quite uh, with, with, with his posse. Uh, the club is uh, managed by, um, the manager is played by Jason Chan, a, a local pop star, and it's owned by uh, the the long lost idol, uh, Emmy Wong. I don't know if you, you recall who she is, uh, Paul. I'm not sure if she was in movies, actually, Emmy Wong. Which one was she? Emmy Wong was the, uh, the, the one who who's in love with the, uh, the former former gangster. Oh, okay, by, uh, yeah. She Shilamman. she was in uh, My Sweetie, I think. Ah, yes. Okay, so As, she uh, hasn't been seen in a sister. while. Yeah, yeah. So she plays the owner of the club, and Jason Chan, the heavy. You recognize him by the heavy eyeliner. He plays the manager of the club. Uh, the film also covers uh, other people who frequent the club, including a group of girls led by Gold Digger, played by Stephanie Chan. Um, Shiga Lin, who is kind of a new pop singer, plays a flight attendant who falls in love with the uh, alcohol promoter, and their romance kind of is kind of the central plot of the film. Also in the film is Bonnie Shan as uh, uh, the, the the club manager's ex girlfriend. You have Lam Mo, Jin, Jenna Ho, and um, Phoebe as uh, two other girls. Um, I think they 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 keep their own names in the film, right? I think they're characters. I think so. I, I couldn't keep track. It was at also, least Gina. It, I think Gina. It was kept also dumb. I mean, yeah. it was just like at a certain point, I just stopped writing notes. Going, are you kidding me? <laughs> Honestly, I couldn't follow these characters. But there's always they all they all take up certain archetypes. You have the you have the one the promiscuous girl. You have the girl who is just learning how to club, and you have the the play, rich playboy played by um, Jun Kun. So it's just all these characters converging in the club, and they're dancing and blah blah blah. It's a local film made for local audiences, especially kids who probably watch the film at night and then head down to Lang Kui Fong afterwards and get all in the mood to drink. So who care? I, I know that that um, Lang Kui Fong is often frequented. By, by foreigners, expats. But um, I think as Kin Hong, the producer, he's very, 
he knows who he's making the film for, and and I think he knows that the care the, the 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 core audience will only care about people they can identify with. So hence, there's no white people. But um, he does kind of there, there's like two. Bit. There's like two. There's like, like one guy shot. right in the beginning who gets in a in a like a mini five second fight, and then there's a there's a guy at the end who's like. Was like standing it. around uh, with with the other bystanders watching the action. Yeah, they were just hanging out. I mean, I don't think they closed the street when they shot the films. So there was a lot of uh, bystanders watching, looking at the cameras and things like that. And that's where you would see the white people. But like I said, the they they want they want characters that kids can local kids can identify with. The film is two B, so it's obviously it's also made for to appeal to a younger audience so that kids can get in. Um, but he uh, Kino does kind of compromise. He does. Um, cast these uh, actors who speak perfect English. Jun Kun, uh, Shiga Lin sounds like she speaks perfect English. Stephanie Chang also speaks perfect English, as far as I know. So you have these people who, uh, Jason Chan as well, because he was he grew up in Canada. So you have these kids who do speak perfect English, kind of busting out a few lines here and there, and that's kind of his his compromise. Um, what you see in the trailer with the promiscuous uh, sex, the, the really suggestive scenes and people dancing and drinking and and whispering things into each other's ear, that's pretty much all you get to see in the movie. Um, like I said, it is a 2B film uh, for for commercial reasons, and and it stretches that limit, you know, as far as the trailer shows. Um, it's a movie about shallow people drinking and dancing, and it's a movie made for shallow people who love drinking and dancing. So I felt it kind of lacked depth. And maybe I'm just kind of, you know, maybe I'm asking too much from it. There's not much about, uh, there's not much of a story. Um, no one really cares about the love story because one Zoe is a terrible actor and Shigalin's character is really, for lack of a better word, shallow and probably dumb. Because uh, in this, in 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 uh, the romance, I think the um, Shiga the Shiga Lin character goes to Zoe's place, and because um because he got drunk, and they're like, and then Zoe convinces her to stay in the night, uh, just to sleep doing nothing. So what she does is get into her underwear and get in the same bed. Stupidest with scene <laughs> ever. Yeah, and then he's like, "Don't do anything." Yeah, don't but do anything. but totally <laughs> gratuitous. So I didn't mind. <laughs> I was I was totally thankful. <laughs> I was really thankful, but I'm just saying sure characters are Yeah, okay. (laughs) We're going to sleep together, and you're going to be in your undies, and we're not going to do anything. It's just so ridiculous. We don't get to do anything. It's such a posh fantasy. Yeah, let me take off my clothes and show off my white underwear. (laughs) Just like, and no blanket. It's totally totally hot in here. We can't turn on the air conditioning. It's just so, it tried to deal with a lot of issues. Like, um, there's this whole thing about Zoe's character being too poor, even though it lives in like a posh mid-levels apartment. <laughs> like a whole shelf of wine. It's so, I don't, I don't understand what's going on with these people. Um, Stephanie Chan um, was really annoying as a gold digger. But she was really convincing at it. Uh, I'm not sure what that says about these people. Um, these characters, uh, apparently they do work. Um, the Shiga Lin character works as a flight attendant. Like I said, the Zoe character works as a promoter, as a public relations guy. Uh, you have the club manager. But that's but then there's no contrast because all you see is them drinking and dancing. I mean, what, what draws them? Where's the contrast? I mean, why are they... Why do they Already so attracted to this kind of life. There's, you know, just just at least two minutes of these people doing something else that is, and, and to show that what they rather do is be at Ankhui Fong. I mean, that's for me. That's convincing. I can I can be convinced that they're in love with this lifestyle. But right now, it's just 
them doing this lifestyle, which again, again tells me that this film knows. Whoa. Hello. Hello. Sorry, you were roboting. Okay. You you were um, saying that this film tells you. Oh, this film it, it pretty much tells you who this film is targeting because it doesn't really go anything beyond showing the life. It doesn't tell you what what's so appealing about the life. Mm. So while I'm sitting here, I don't go Lang Kui regularly. Yeah, that uh, I think that's Korea. a great point too because I, if they would have contrasted, you know, the the drudgery of their jobs. Mm-hmm. As as sort of the reasoning why they engage in this, I think it would have it would have been a better balance. Yeah, I think so too. But right now it's just okay. I'm sitting here and we don't have we don't share we don't have the Lang Kui Fong you know lifestyle. I go once in a while, but I don't do the Lang Kui Fong thing. Um, and I'm sitting here watching. What's what's the big? I just see them drinking and dancing, and then they have sex, and then they drink and dance. They have sex again. I don't. I mean, it's it's what is the point of it? Um, so again, that's why yeah, I assume that you have to be kind of in this life, and the movie is made for people who have this life. Um, but it is for what it's worth, it is entertaining and trashy. It's a better film than Summer Love Love. Um, it's be, just because I guess there's a little more drama in it, a little more serious. Um, there's an opening shot that was really ambitious, but I'm a little disappointed at how it turned out because of the editing and whatever. Um, and also, I wish there was a little more to the script. Um, and what was that? it's a little trashy. Uh, what, what else? Uh, there's not much else to the film, um, but it is entertaining for what it is. And, you know, it wasn't really terribly painful to sit through. So, so for for a Hong Kong film this year, that's kind of good enough for me. Um, if you're young enough, if you're in the target audience, I would say TV it, you know, because you'll probably download it anyway. So what's the point of telling you to see it in the theater, right? Um, everyone else who who don't get it, uh, who probably won't who won't know, who can't tell between the models and don't know who's Manning Gaw Gaw, or who don't know who who doesn't know um, these 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 actors uh, i would say skip it but sin lotman does have a really great scene towards the end and there's some uh good cameos throughout uh especially conroy and and former boys member uh steven uh, those are so it's kind of a good local film for me it's kind of fun to watch but not that great film by any means paul yeah uh well i mean coming off of summer love love this is a work of art (laughs) (laughs) um that that just stands for as a statement by itself but um so yeah okay it's Lang Kwai Fong with no white feet white people so it's technically science fiction right <laughs> or alternate reality um but no that's fine I understand why they did that I didn't have a problem with it you know um I think that they wanted to focus on a very particular set of you know the upper class youth who engage in this behavior and I'm sure there's plenty of them and I'm sure that the young people who end up going to watch this movie will wish they were part of that group. Um, but the likelihood is is that they're not, because this kind of lifestyle, the people who do live these kinds of lives, has have lots of money to blow. And there's lots of money being blowed. There's, you know, rich parties that are being thrown. There's lots of booze, expensive booze, um, that's being chugged on a regular basis. So you know, this is not the the typical lifestyle of the average young person in Hong Kong. Um, yeah, they go to the cheaper, cheaper bars in Jim Sa Chui and play dice and play with their yeah, yeah the yeah. dice game and things like that. This is um you know, but this is a thing where a show where you know guys wear eyeliner to work and 
Um, you don't see the people work, you know, the point that you made, which I think was good. I think there's one shot of the two, two of the girls in their flight attendant uniforms, um, either going or coming from work and stopping to have a drink, but you never actually see them work. And I think that, you know, the absence of that monotony that pushes people to these party lives, um, it could have been something that was, that should have been included. Yeah. So... But, you know, you've, what have you got here? You've got people who drink way too much, who are, you know, basically going to be have their liver gone by the time they're 40. Um, you've got women who like sex in toilets, which... There's nothing wrong with that. It's, really? It, really? Yeah. Seriously? I mean, you know how dirty no. the toilets in Hong Kong are? You really want to... <laughs> I'm sorry, but no. 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 Um, didn't you just watch Contagion? <laughs> um but the opening walkthrough that you mentioned, you know, it, it, they were. I think they were trying to go for sort of a, what was it, a Goodfellas, uh, yeah, kind of a kind like of a, a thing, nights kind of thing, yeah. And and I think it it worked out pretty well. I, I remember watching that whole thing. They basically follow a character through from one club down the street, um, and ultimately into another couple clubs in one long take. And doing that in Hong Kong anywhere is very, very ambitious. But doing it in Lang Kwai Fong is even more ambitious because that place, almost any given night of the week, um, at any time, is is going to be a madhouse. So, uh, Yeah, and they did it without, um, they did it without um, 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 closing the street, yeah. which is pretty, pretty cool. Um, and there were, you know, there were a couple yahoos who were like, there was one guy, I remember, who you could tell he was drunk, and he kind of ran up into, into the camera, and the, the cameraman knew what he was doing, basically. Um, mm-hmm. in controlling what was going on for the most part. So I was impressed with that. I think that probably stuck out in my mind more than anything else um, about the movie. Marco in the chat room had mentioned the more that we talk about it, the, the, the more he thinks it's a documentary. I wish it would have been a documentary. I think that if they would have gone more of a documentary-style route, it would have been better. Um, maybe more along the lines of the, um, uh, the Hong Kong film 20-something, which basically this is this is yeah an up, this is an update this of is an updated version but it lacks yeah. that sense the original twenty something sort of had this sense of like MTV's real world um, with people giving interviews and stuff like that if they would have done something like that I think that uh, it it could have come off a little bit more interesting instead they just kind of stick with the traditional boy meets girl boy loses girl uh, boy gets girl back narrative and it it just was okay I mean if you liked the actors you liked the characters you'd probably like the movie more. Um, I wasn't really that into him. The characters that I did like, um, such as the, the, the ex-triad guy and uh, the girl who liked him, I thought were more interesting. I wanted to see more about them, um, and I didn't really get that. But, um, you know, you do the cameos you mentioned. You know, Chrissy Chow shows up at one point. And I was yeah, like, that was cool. Hey, wow, where did she come from? Um, and you know you've made it when Chrissy Chow, former pseudo-model, is your biggest cameo, right? <laughs> um, that's saying something. Uh, but I would really like to sit down one day and watch this film as a marathon with um, the Hong Kong 20-something, um, the film that came out a few years later, uh, 20-something Taipei, and then this film. Because I think it would be a very interesting progression mm-hmm. uh, of looking at how young 20-something folks, you know, the, the, the changes in styles, the changes in attitudes... Um, and also the fact that this film is probably the most conservative of the series. Um, yeah. I know why they did it, because you've, you've got no nudity. You've got people having sex, but there's no nudity in this film. 
Um, near so, nudity. It, yeah, it, you have one of them covering, yeah, unnaturally it, covering her breasts while she's having sex. It, it, it's it's yeah. it's it's clever coverings. You know, use of use of hands and body parts you know, to to block things. I know why they did it. They want this film probably to get into China. Um, but no, I think I think it's just the actors who don't who are not willing to do it. You think so? Oh yeah, yeah. These young actors. Um, the Lemos. The Lemos are actually just willing to show nudities, but they would never go like full all the way. Uh, I don't know because I, I, w- I would think yeah. that they would have just found somebody who would have been putting a category three on this. I think would would have gotten much better ticket sales, don't you? Actually, no, because you have you you're missing because the the lemos their their um, main audience is actually around eighteen twenty, mm. uh, even younger sixteen maybe. And of course, the whole film is to pr- present this fantasy club world to younger audiences who know these actors pop stars and and handsome people and imkino is trying to reach for a wider younger skew younger than mm. than rather older um because they i mean they know that the older people would the older i guess 20 something even mid 20s to 30s they would just rather go lang kwai fong than rather you know sit down and watch the and film watch so a this movie is about lang kwai fong <laughs> yeah exactly so i think they're trying to present this more fantasy world for 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 the younger audience, so they you know they can't go to the clubs, but they can sit down to a movie and have the experience. Mm. Um, it's a very commercial move, and you know it's natural because you have cat, you cast all these models. It's obviously a, a commercial. Everything's commercial from, from beginning to end. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, the other thing that struck me too about the film was, um, it takes place in two thousand and nine, right? And and yeah, the, and the way the jumping, way they do it yeah. is they sort of jump from party to party. You know, they'll go like eight days later, two weeks later um, to try and show that yeah, it's 2000 not days later. Yeah, it's not a party all the time, but they, they do have they do set the time frame at some point where they say it's a 2009 New Year's Eve party getting ready to two, turn 2010. And I could never really figure out why they did that. Um, was the film actually shot back then and it's been held for so long or, or was there a significant reason that I missed for them to set it? At the turn of 2009, 2010? No, I think they just... Well, the thing with the film was shot in, in the summer after Summer Love Love was done. That's mm. that's for sure. Um, I think they just wanted to have like... Um, they stretched out the, the time frame with the story, I guess, to make the romance feels more feel more poignant, uh. pretty much. Because the romance stretches for a few years and then they kind of go back. These characters go back and forth. And I think they're just trying to go for, or go for that effect and in fact if they're going by that timeline it's totally inaccurate because the opening shot shows that the center building of uh long kui fong being rebuilt and in 2009 they hadn't hadn't started they haven't started uh, a construction on that so continuity is important continuity is important yeah um oh and also uh, one thing to add about you were talking about china market chinese film does not does not um allow premarital sex so so that film would never (laughs) this would never get in china too bad, so sad. Um, one of the other things they did in the film that did kind of annoy me was at the end, we got not one MTV music masa- uh, montage, but we got two MTV music montages of the same sequence from different <laughs> perspectives, and I was kind of bored. I was like, do I really have to watch all of this over again with a different person singing? No, I, I don't want that. Um, but I had to deal with it. But overall, you know, I'd say that all right, the film doesn't offer much, but what it does do isn't really terrible. The people are pleasing to look at. The acting is decent, you know, given that most of these folks are fairly new at what they're doing. The cameos are kind of fun, if you know who the people are. 
Um, so yeah, I'd say not terrible, but again, way better than Summer Love Love. So, you know, uh, TV it for sure. What do you say, Kev? I say TV it for a younger audience, uh, older audience who won't get any of this lifestyle or the people in it. Um, probably skip it. All right. Well, let's hear some music from it. This is Janice and uh, 24 Herb with the theme song from uh, Lan Kwai Fong, Welcome to the Wonderland. show now we're out of space we're gonna go with the flow now yeah. Honestly, about the song, um, I'm I'm so glad that Janice is not singing one of those Leon Lai produced ballads anymore. That this she actually sounds great here. Mm. These are the best songs in the in probably ever. Yeah, I, that was the thing that stuck out about me for the movie too. Was the song was pretty good. <laughs> yes, this song was actually I didn't know I had no idea it was Janice because she was so used to doing those crappy. I almost said the S word, the crappy, uh, <laughs> crappy syrupy ballad, and she sounded so unnatural doing them. Now she's doing like a proper R and B, you know, song that stretches her voice. She's actually quite good at it. And oh, you didn't play the um, the very end of the song of Conrad going, "Welcome to the Wonderland." Yeah, well, I'll have to cut that and awesome. uh, stick it in at some point. Welcome to the Wonderland. East Green, West Green. All right, for West Screen this week, we have the latest uh, film from Saturday Night Saturday Night Live hostess, uh, Kristen Wiig, who typically takes on supporting roles, but this time she's in the lead uh, in this American film comedy with coming from director uh, Paul Fague, if I'm saying his name correctly, um, which I believe this is his first film. He's typically done a lot of TV direction. He's uh, he's known more for some some comedy shows. I think he's done... Some episodes of uh, the American version of The Office. Uh, he did uh, a couple of 30 Rocks, Park and, Parks and Recreation. Uh, he did a Mad Men. He's done Arrested Development and uh, Nurse Jackie. So this is his first Hollywood film. And um, his, his foray into that. And he's working with uh, Kristen Wiig, who is an alumnus. And I think she's still on the cast for the current season of Saturday Night Live, who's also... Um, one of the co-writers of the script. Basically, the story is telling um, telling the tale of a young woman named Annie who's a single woman in her mid-30s, and she's basically going through a rough patch. Um, her business has, has died. She had a bakery business, but it's gone under. 
Um, her boyfriend left with all of her savings, and she now works in a jewelry store. Um, and her friend Lillian is getting engaged. Now, Lillian is uh, played by Maya Rudolph, who's also uh, an SNL Saturday Night Live alumni, and I think she's left Saturday Night Live. I think she got... Quite a few years ago, yeah. Yeah, she was pregnant, and I think she retired from there and um, has just been doing you know, some odds, odds and ends here and there. So she's reunited here with Kristen Wiig um, and as her best friend. And so she, uh, she asks Annie to take up the role of sort of the head bridesmaid to make the arrangements for the bridal shower and, and these kinds of things. But Annie finds herself uh, quickly dethroned when a new friend named Helen comes in to sort of take things over. Helen is the wife of... Um, her friend, uh, her friend's fiance, uh, his boss, and uh, she basically wants to run the show, um, and so that sort of sets the stage for these two, you know, these two women who are on the in the bridal party, who are at odds with each other and who don't really like each other. Um, with uh, Lillian, the the girl, the, the lady getting married, kind of stuck uh, in the middle, and Annie feels like she's losing her friendship with Lillian as a result. Um, and so from there, it sets off into this series of chaotic experiences from a bridal dinner uh, amongst the bridesmaids or a bridal luncheon amongst the light bridesmaids to, at a Brazilian restaurant um, that looks suspiciously like an old Mexican restaurant that I once ate at and, <laughs> and had a similar experience, but not quite as bad as the ladies go through. Um, but they go through bridal fittings. They plan sort of a bachelorette party where they're going to go to Las Vegas and that ends up sort of falling apart. At the same time, uh, Annie, the Kristen Wiig character, she's having this really weird relationship with uh, an, a sort of a, not really a boyfriend, but what you'd call a, a friend with benefits kind of relationship. Um, only she would rather him be her boyfriend uh, with a guy named Ted, who's played by John Hamm from Mad Men. And I'm guessing the connection there is that, you know, Paul Fig was the director on one of the episodes of Mad Men, so he was able to pull in uh, Mr. Ham for the film. Um, and so there's that relationship going on. But at the same time, she strikes up a relationship with a local police officer, um, Nathan Rhodes, played by Chris O'Dowd. And so she's kind of got this weird relationship on the one side, but this new budding relationship on the other side. Um, and all of this craziness going on in her life, and she doesn't really seem to have a direction. Um, so basically, it's a story about a woman kind of hitting rock bottom. And every time you think she's hit rock bottom, you find out, no, nope, she's not quite there yet. She's got lower to go. Um, there are quite a few other people um, who have uh, some cameos here. Some of them are recognized, not all of them. Um, but the, I think the most intriguing character for me uh, is the character of Megan, played by Melissa McCarthy, uh, who's kind of this wild, crazy character. She's overweight, um, but she's a sort of a no-holds-barred character, says what she, says what she thinks and, and, and does what she wants. Um, the problem is, is that the girls are funny, uh, but a lot of the gags don't really seem to go anywhere. Um, they don't seem to have an overarching point in many ways. Um, Kristen Wiig herself, I think, is a fabulous actress. She has really the, the ability to really go in any direction she wants to. 
But in this film, she kind of got stuck in some of the shtick that she does in her regular characters on SNL. I kept seeing elements of them kind of coming out in some of the scenes that she was doing. Um, and so I, I, I found myself, as the film going forward and her sinking lower, that it was really getting to be a little bit too much, a little bit too unbelievable, because it really started out as sort of this kind of down-to-earth relationship between these girls, and then it kind of went a little bit beyond where I expected it to go. Um, they, I've heard a lot of people compare this film to they, uh, to The Hangover, saying that this is sort of like a hangover, but for girls. No. And I guess, in a sense, it kind of is, you know, but at the same time, I think that one of the problems is that all of the girls here possibly with the exception of um, of Lillian, is that they're all quirky. They're all in some ways like the Alan character, you know, Zach Galifianakis' character. Um, but here, you know, they all have these quirks and maybe too much so. Um, Melissa McCarthy, as I said, she steals the show and she's the one who's supposed to be sort of like the real Alan, the re really quirky character, but the one that you kind of like and you want to see more of. Um, but at the same time, she too herself is kind of a stereotype. Um, so overall, it wasn't terrible, but it was kind of disappointing because I'd heard so many great things about it. It had been kind of hyped up by people, friends who had seen it in the West. Um, and so both m myself and my wife were really looking forward to it. And we both kind of came away a little bit disappointed, not really thinking it was what we expected. Uh, my wife also complained that she said the poster for the film was very misleading because when you look at the poster and you see the ladies all kind of lined up they all look great they've all got you know great makeup on but she says in the film it's nothing like that so she was kind of expecting you know that these were going to be like girls from gossip girl or something and uh, <laughs> it turned out to not be that and so she wasn't sure what was going on for a while but the humor's there it's funny especially if you're somebody who likes Kristen wig because you know she is sort of the anchor point with her character Annie of the show, and you do want to see her come to some resolution. There are some other weird story arcs from some of the other bridesmaids, those that never get resolved. You know, it's like the there. I don't want to spoil it, but there's an incident on the plane between the blonde girl and the redhead, and it never really goes anywhere, right? I mean, it's like at one point after that, after something happens, those two characters kind of disappear, and yeah. you, you don't hear from them anymore. Um, and then Wilson Phillips shows up. If you remember who Wilson Phillips is, you're you're just old like me, and that's sad. So <laughs> that's about it. I'd say you know it's worth watching. Um, so you can TV it um, if you're a, a lady and a huge Kristen Wiig fan, and you or you've got some other girlfriends who are getting ready to go through a bridal shower of their own. Probably a great movie to go out and watch together. What do you say, Kev? Okay, um, well, apparently it was an unlikely hit in America, um, and it, it's still kind of unlikely to me because uh, the film was quite, I thought it was quite dry. It was really oddly paced at points. Um, it doesn't really have a rhythm of a comedy, of a farce at least. Uh, it runs kind of a little slow. But um, I really liked the script, actually. I thought the characters felt real, at least the three central ones, um, the Kristen Wiig character, the Maya Rudolph character, and... Um, who who plays the Helena uh, Rose uh, Rose, Rose Byrne. Byrne. Yeah. Rose Byrne, yeah, Rose Byrne character even to 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 a point. Um I really like the fact that she uh the Kristen Wiig character doesn't have all the answers even by the end of the film. Um it's just it kind of ends the okay everything's going to be fine, but 
you're not quite sure where she will go or whether she obviously she's done she's done hitting rock bottom but even at the end she still didn't have all the answers to fixing everything and i quite like that it felt quite real to me um and yeah like you said the poster is kind of misleading it's and with the title it kind of suggests that um the film is about the whole group um and their bond as a group but no it's actually about the the center is really about the friendship between Kristen Wiig character and the Maya Rudolph characters um and I thought it was really funny that the only, you know, quote-unquote attractive one in that group, the really attractive one, that's the Helen character. She's like the villain of the piece. I kind of find that funny in a way. It's You can tell it's written by a woman who kind of... Who kind of um, it's like the anti-sex in the city for me. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like... And I think that's part of my, the problem my wife had with it. She wanted to see sex in the city. And I hate Sex in the City, so I love this. I love that it was anti-Sex in the City. It was really anti-glamour. It was anti-everything. It was anti-excess. And, like, anything that's too too glamorous or too pretty is, is almost, like, laughed upon. It's almost made fun of. It's, it's, it's seen as portrayed as, like, a bad thing. And I really like that. Um, and it kind of it, it shows that chick flicks can do gross jokes, too. Uh, some people would not like that particular sequence uh i thought it was kind of funny uh it goes to really unexpected places um you were talking about the, the vegas thing and yeah uh, i totally didn't know it was going that that direction i don't want to ruin it but i love that it went direction that direction every every little sequence every set of sequence in that film is like a practice like a practical um practical application of murphy's law you know it's like <laughs> yes anything that can go wrong goes wrong and yeah um the, it, it is a chick flick. Uh, it has a fully female cast, but there's a lot of familiar issues uh, with the friendship things and uh, hitting rock bottom and, and finding your way, blah, blah. Um, so so I kind of connected to it in a way. You know, uh, I've never been a bridesmaid, but <laughs> I've never been a bridesmaid. Uh, knocking wood, knock wood. Um, it, but I kind of connected to it in a way. Um, it is too long. It's 125 minutes, and I can't imagine how long the unrated version on DVD is. Well, this is one, this was, ours was cut a little bit in right? Hong Kong. In Hong Kong um, there's yeah, there's two, a scene two. there's a scene in the trailer when I was um, loading it up. Um, I was I was looking for the link. Uh, the trailer has a scene where she's like on a date, and she's at a guy's house, and he's got a kid. And hmm. it's just really weird. It's like that whole sequence is like cut out. Maybe it's an unrated version. I mean, the ones on the one that's got on DVD. Yeah. As far as I know, if if the Hong Kong version is cut in any way, it's probably just little snippets of stuff that Tella would have would have a a problem with. Um. So if to get a two B, they probably cut little moments. But I didn't see any um any abrupt cut, as far as I know. So there might I don't think they would go and cut an entire. Sequence because uh, according to IMDb, the American version also ran 125 minutes, so it's pretty should be pretty um, similar, uh, if not the same. Um, but like still, it's it's too long. I, a film like this, there's the Judd Apatow rule. That's there's something that Judd Apatow, who produced the film, also needs to learn. Comedies don't. I don't care how heavy the issues are. I'm sorry, 100, 110 minutes at the most. 125, too long. All right, especially with this kind of pacing. Um, Kristen Wake, I I like Kristen Wake. I always liked her 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 awkward shtick, I guess the stuttering thing. I I, I kind of yeah. like that because that's the way I talk. So I I really like to make comedy out of that that talking style. But the question is, of course, does she have anything else up her sleeves? This is kind of her most 
these are leading roles. So I guess is the most um, outwardly not awkward I've seen her. I think I'm not sure if I've seen I haven't seen her in much role. I saw her in Ghost Town where she did that whole show, um awkward talking stick. Um but here she's pretty likable. Um and the script is good. There was a script that she, she had a supporting role in uh Paul, which was Oh yeah, yeah good. which I haven't haven't yeah. seen yet. So, um but the question is does she have anything else up her sleeves? Can she play outside that that style, that com- comedy yeah. style? Um I think she could. I think, you know, when I, when I see some of the stuff that she does I think she's got a potential along the lines of Jim Carrey. Mm. If she can break out of those few characters that she constantly returns to on, you know, SNL. Mm. Um, Because, like I said, I saw some of that coming through here, but I think she's got the potential for so much more. And I remember, you know, back in the day, what was it? uh, Not Mad TV, uh, In Living Color. Mm. You know, that's kind of where Jim Carrey got his start. And and it was the kind of same thing. He had a few characters that he was, that, that were recurrent, that he got known for, for being very funny. And some of those carried over into a few of his first films, like uh, I want to say Ace Ventura. Yeah. And uh, it Max. came through The Mask a little bit. Um, but, you know, he's moved on so far beyond those since then. And I kind of see that same... That, that that same uh, that same potential in Kristen Wiig. Oh, the 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 sad thing about Jim Carrey is that he was never truly recognized for his dramatic roles. Um, he never got the Oscar. I think he was nominated once, yeah, or something, and he never got the true recognition that he deserved. I hope Kristen Wiig can can break out of that. Um, and I hope she writes continues writing because this uh, she might be a next dirtier version of Tina Fey. <laughs> Who knows? A little less preppy, darker. I like where it went because it was dark and and it was yeah so untina Fey ish. You know, I, I I like the film, but of course, considering that it's been out on DVD most places or in America at least, and it's probably past its theatrical release most places. Hong Kong got it late because I mean no one really was sure, no one knew whether it would work or not. Um, so I understand why they release it so late here in Hong Kong, but everywhere else, um, it's definitely good enough for TV. It uh, if you're in Hong Kong, depends on how you can handle um, gross out humor in 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 chick flicks. If you can handle that, and I and when I say gross, it's pretty gross. Um, so if you think you can handle it, um, especially female audiences, they should see it. Um, but men. Man, I think I think also even if you're just a guy, and I saw it by myself, so I I think guy is worth even for the guys is worth a look. Mm. I enjoyed it. All right. Um, just a, a side note: go on to YouTube and load up the Bridesmaids trailer number two HD, mm. and go to the two minute and eighteen second mark, uh, right towards the end, and you'll see the scene that was. It's just totally not in the the movie in Hong Kong. Um, just kind of weird because I was watching Turner. I was like, well, that was not in our film. You're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Kongcast.com for more. All right, I think that's a show. What do you think, Kevin? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. that's just a show. Uh, see, no real comments this week. Uh, we're kind of running long, so 
We'll just uh, wrap things up. Our show, you can find it not only on iTunes, but also on Stitcher. You can listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, and your WebOS phones. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it on your app store or at Stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. And we thank them for their support of our little show. Uh, find us over at the website, uh, www.concast.com. You can go there and leave us some comments, and we'll talk about the things you have to say right here on the show. You can also find us on iTunes, and we would love for you to drop over and leave us a nice review, five-star review, if you think we're good, or something a bit less lower. That's fine, too. Uh, leave us some critical feedback. We'll be happy to hear what you have to say and ways you'd like to see the show change or improve. Um, Twitter.com slash Concast if you'd like to follow along with what the show's doing, and you can follow the Golden Rock himself over at Twitter.com slash the Golden Rock. Or you can email us at eScreen at gmail.com and you know send us a question, send us a short MP3 audio file, and uh, we'll might you know we'll play it here on the show. I'd like to say thanks to uh, well before I get to the thanks, uh, Kevin, what are you gonna be up to this week? What are you gonna be writing about? Anything? Oh my yeah, this week on YP movies I'll be writing uh, quite a few reviews actually three films because um the the other guy who was writing the reviews he's on vacation so i'll be covering three films this week um apollo 18 uh zookeeper and color Anna, whatever how do you call it the one with the the, the girl from avatar um so you can check those out on www.ypmovies.com.hk uh click on the english version of the website and uh you can see my reviews all right that sounds good uh, as we close out the show, I'd like to say a big thanks to Ryan and Jennifer Ozawa again for taking the time to share their thoughts with us on the show. Um, also, shout out to uh, Rob Gobers who of Snauzer Studios, who did our theme, Ross Chen of LoveHKFilm.com, who arranges for us to get together and have movies and you know talk about geeky stuff. Uh, big thanks to the K-Man for being here, for watching movies with us, with me, and... Uh, Spending the time that he does to make sure we get the facts right here on the show. And, of course, thanks to you, the listeners, for sticking with us. Uh, However you catch the show, whether it's live, whether it's on the podcast, um, on the go, however you do it, we're glad you're there. We're glad you're listening. Big thanks to everybody who stopped by in the chat room today. Hong Kong Dave, Matt Seidel, uh, Marco Spomberg, and anybody else who was just lurking around uh, we love to chat with you there, so if you have the free time when we're doing this live, do stop by and listen. Next show, episode 85. Wow. Woo-hoo. Uh We're going to talk about what? Maybe yeah, what are we going to talk about? Uh, at like least the Asian Film Festival. Because the that, Asian Film be Festival the, uh, is going to yes. have some news uh, coming out. We've also got two films, it uh, looks like, coming out this week. Uh, I Love Wing Chun. Uh, looks like it's going to be a classic. And uh, also My Kingdom. So we'll have those to look forward to. Uh, West Green, anything? Maybe a Zookeeper, I guess. I don't know. And yeah, The Help, maybe. Yeah, uh, the Help, yeah. Movies. That's getting yeah. released over here. So we might ha- we might cover those as well. Um, so there'll be that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing, and we'll see you next week. See you next week, everybody.
I mean, just because you have a you have a English speaking Asian guy doesn't make it okay to have the exotic uh, male gaze. <laughs> films just like a film studies feminist film theory thing. It's just that <laughs> white male gaze thing. It's just ah. Anyway. <laughs> That's it. F word. Oh my god! I said the F word. Did I? you? I might have. I'm gonna have to bleep ah. you. Ah, bleep oh. this. Smurf yeah. that. Smurf that. <laughs> Smurf that.